All right, so some of you in the building got a packet like this, so uh, I'm going to encourage you to open the packet and go ahead and sample the cracker that's inside. It's fresh out of the box. I promise you that they're, they're, it's to the extent that whoever made this box of crackers is, is trustworthy, these should be good to go. If you're at home and you don't have one of these, you probably don't have this in your pantry. But anyway, if you'll go ahead and take a bite of the cracker, and I would love to hear how, how you like it. Is it, is it. How tasty is this cracker? I'm looking, and I'm looking for expressions on face. Nah, you're shaking your head. It's not sweet? It's not salty? Is it bitter? No, it's just like paper tastes. Maybe not that good. Cardboard, okay. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> this cracker has no salt on it. Okay, it's actually called matzah. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I wanted you to, do, to sample that is because I like to engage the senses, but how often do we get to engage taste, right? We don't do that near enough. Next week, we're going to do cinnamon rolls. Just kidding. <laughs> Although, if anybody wants to help with that, Father's Day, right? Okay, so... Um, I, I do. I want you to remember. I was kind of hoping the kids were going to get one too, but uh, I think they're already uh, they're already gone. But food without salt, right? We don't like it. Now, maybe your doctor says you need to eat with no salt or less salt, and you may or may not listen to your doctor. Uh, my mom actually is, tells the story. She has two different doctors telling her different things. One doctor said, "Don't eat uh, salt for your heart." The other one is saying, "Eat more salt." for other reasons. And she's like, well, what do I do with that? And so, you know, I just said, eat salt. I mean, it sounds good to me. So, obviously, salt is a huge enhancer for food, okay? And that's typically the way we think of salt. We typically use it to salt our food, which is great. In our house, um, if you were to dine with us, you would see next to the kitchen table a cabinet. It's about this wide. It's about this tall. It sits on the floor. It's about, it's a pretty shallow cabinet with glass doors on it. And inside that cabinet are row after row after row of salt and pepper shakers that Anita collects or used to collect. She doesn't collect them anymore, so no more, please. But um, she, when she was a kid, she started collecting salt and pepper shakers. And then at some point, she inherited her grandmother's salt and pepper shaker collection. So she had all of these from all over the world and old ones, new ones, and all kinds of interesting stories behind all of this. So you can imagine from time to time with our four girls growing up that they would ask questions about the salt and pepper shakers. And then there was this phenomenon that would happen probably once a month, I'll be generous, and it happened last night, so it still happens, where we will use a salt, and so we'll rotate the salt and pepper shakers on the table for interest, because we have all of them, let's use them, right? And, and inevitably, you'll pick up the salt shaker and there's no salt in the shaker. <laughs> and we're like, isn't it ironic that we have all these? But, you know, she doesn't store them with salt in them for good reason. Salt obviously has a huge impact in how we eat and what we eat and how we enjoy food or don't, okay? Jesus is going to take salt and use it as a metaphor for spiritual life, okay? Now, um, there are other uses that salt has, and Gene has alluded to these things already. Appreciate that. Um, I think one Bible commentator said there were, uh, he had like 11 different things salt's good for. Uh, I'm not going to do 11. I'm going to name three, and I've already named one, and that is that salt flavors things, and that's important because if we don't enjoy eating 
we might not eat as much as we want. Now, maybe we've got the other opposite problem in America, and so maybe we need to <laughs> table the salt. <laughs> but uh, the second way, and this is probably one of the biggest uses of salt in all of history and most of history, and before refrigeration, the only way you could keep meat from not rotting, not the only way, but main way, was to salt it down, rub it with salt, or put it in saline, salt saline water, and that would preserve it. And when you don't have a refrigerator or a freezer, you got to cook it, eat it, or salt it, is, is the way it was done. So, um, that, so again, that analogy fits. And in, and in Jesus' day, this would have been probably the just as important to them and first thing that comes to mind right along with flavor. There's another one that I think is applicable here that is worth calling attention to, and that is that salt makes you thirsty. And that you, um, when you eat salty things, you want to drink. And if you need somebody to drink more, whether you're at a bar or whether you have a sick child, salting them is a way to do that. That's why you have to pay for your drinks at the bar, but the pretzels and peanuts are free, right? Because they want you to buy more drinks. So um, Jesus is going to use salt because it has so many different applications to us spiritually that we can apply, okay? He's also going to use light, and he's going to use this one-two punch of metaphors to tell us the answer to the question, how do I do what we talked about last week? Now, if you weren't here last week, we're in Matthew 5, and the first 12 verses talked about the blessed, the Beatitudes, we, or sometimes they're called, or the beautiful attitudes that come when your heart is full of Jesus. When you are all in support, you are following Jesus, and you are trying to do so in the best of your ability. And so in these verses, and I'm just going to read through these, they give us the, this is who we are to be in Christ. The verses we're going to focus on today are going to tell us how, what we do when we're in Christ. So last week focused on who are we in Christ, our identity. This week focuses on what do we get to do as a result of being who we are in Christ. Um, so with that, let's, let's pray and then we'll dive in uh, to this message. Lord God, I thank you that you speak to us in ways we can understand. And while the challenges are there, because some of this was written at least two, well, all of it was written at least 2,000 years ago, the principles in your word are timeless. Therefore, they are true and applicable all the time. Lord, today as we dive into this huge passage of, of your Sermon on the Mount, help us to understand what you're saying. And then give us the faith and the courage to exercise our faith to live it out. And to lead others to do the same. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, if you were to ask, if, if someone were to ask you, well, what's a Christian like? I mean, like somebody who's really in, someone who's really following the Lord Jesus. And I would say, well, Jesus tells us in verses 3 through tw uh, 12. So let's read through that briefly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that is those who are recognizing their and humbling themselves before the Lord, that I need spiritual help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, that would be mourning over the brokenness in a world, mourning over your own sin and the sin of others, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek. That's not weak. That's meek, which means power under control. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's thirst. That'll tie into saltiness, won't it? For they will be filled. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be merciful. They will show, be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's not just someone who's trying to be peaceful. It's someone who works for peace and reconciliation. Blessed are those who are persecuted, not for just anything, persecuted because of righteousness, right living, right relationships, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that looks like a bookend because verse 3 was, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's always they and them and they. And then he turns, and it's like he wants to double down on verse 10. And he gets personal, and he says, blessed are you. Now, who's you? Who's he talking to? Well, in this time, when this was spoken and done, he's speaking to his 12. So the 12 disciples are sitting in front of him, and he is sitting before them on a hillside, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And oh, by the way, there's about, you know, 10,000 more people behind them listening in, if you can picture that crazy scene. And he's speaking in such a way that it gets quiet and everybody's listening. And I imagine there had been quite a bit of ministry that had occurred before that. And he says, so he says, blessed are you. Who's he talking to? Well, he's certainly talking to the 12 because the 12 have said, I'm, they're in. They're following him literally. They literally have the dust his shoes have kicked up on their clothing. That's how closely they're walking with him. And that's just a, you know, when you walk with the rabbi, that's how the rabbis typically would teach their followers, as they would teach as they're traveling from place to place. Do you have his dust on your clothing? Sidebar, no extra charge for that. Blessed are you when people insult you. Boy, does that not sound very inviting. Wait a minute. Did I read that right? Blessed are you when people insult you, Jesus says, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. But then he makes it very specific, because of me, Jesus says. So the, the persecution we're talking about is because of righteousness and because of Jesus. Okay? And it's not that Jesus is offensive, but the message of Jesus, it is offensive. This is why we as Christians don't need to work at that. We don't need to be offensive. That's not our job. The gospel is plenty. Rejoice and be glad. Not because you're being persecuted, but here's why. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're in good company if you're being persecuted for righteousness or for Jesus' sake. Now, into the passage we're focusing in today. If you live that life, that inner life that we just read about, you will be persecuted. Which begs the question, doesn't it? Are you? Are you being persecuted? Is the life you live evident? Or are we playing it close to the vest? Now, Jesus is going to answer the question, well, can I just play it close to the vest and just quietly be a Christian? And I think he's going to answer... No. But you decide. Let's look at verses 13, 16. 
He's going to answer that question here. How do we live out those verses above? How do we do it? If those verses tell us who we are in Christ, these verses tell us what we're to do. And honestly, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount answers the question, what is it that we get to do as followers of Christ? All right, let's see. So the first one, verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Again, who's he talking to? People who are either following him or people who will follow him that are in that crowd of 10,000 plus or whatever it is, that all those people, thousands of people, many of them will follow him. Most will not, but many will. And he says, you are. It's, a, it, it's, emphasis, it's, it's a statement of emphasis and certainty. It's not you might be, you could be. If you do this, you will. It, it is you are the salt. Now remember, it's a metaphor for spiritual what? What is salt? What does salt do? It brings flavor, it preserves, and it makes people thirsty. That's, that's what the gospel does when it's inhabited and fleshed out in God's people. When you and I live a gospel-centered life, as described in the first 12 verses, then people are going to be, they're going to enjoy the flavor of a Christ-like person. They're going to enjoy that. So, okay, let me rephrase. Some people will enjoy it and embrace and lean in, and others will push back. Okay, you're going to get those two reactions, one of those two reactions if you're doing this, okay? If you're not getting any reaction, then you probably don't look any different than anyone else. And that in itself should say a lot. Okay, but if you're fleshing this out, and you are living a flavor-filled life, I'll call a Christ-like life, then people are going to be drawn to that or repelled by that, okay? If you are living a life that's fighting corruption in our culture, because that's what, that's what salt does, it fights corruption in the meat, and in our culture we have plenty of that. It doesn't matter if you go to downtown uh, uh, areas where there's gang violence. It doesn't matter if you go to a Christian college. It doesn't matter if you go to preschool. It doesn't matter if you go to a hospital. Our world is rotting, okay, because of sin. It has been since Adam and Eve, okay? And it got so bad early on that God said, I'm going to start over. That's how bad it got. It hasn't gotten that bad here yet. That tells you something. In the days of Noah... It was so bad, he said, I'm just going to hit the reset button. And he cleaned house, except for Noah and his family, and then he started again. But it didn't take long, did it, for the corruption to start? And, and so the difference is, back in those days, God's people were few, far and few between. In our day, there are more, and the number is growing, even though in America our numbers are going down. In Africa, in South America, Central America... Asia, the numbers are going up, even in the Middle East. Numbers are going up. Now, down in Europe, down in America, okay, down in Canada, all these wealthy Western nations, because we don't need God, right? Because we got it. We're good. It's going up in places where they, they have eyes to see and ears to hear. And then salt makes people thirsty. Can you imagine a person who lives a life in such a way that makes people thirsty to wants to thirst for righteousness, for right living, for right relationships. That's the kind of life he calls you and I. Imagine a city where all the Christians in the city did that. And people were stirred, some towards Christ, and some would be persecuting. But do you think people would know that Christ was happening? 
Christ was alive and well in that city? Absolutely. Would lives be changed because of that? Absolutely. Would there be conflict and strife? Yes. And yet there would be people coming in as peacemakers, using and working in those situations to point people to Jesus. This is the way Jesus did it. And he's calling you and I to walk in this way. And the church of today is not doing this well. All right? None of us are doing this well. Right? And so it is incumbent on us to humble ourselves and allow God to show us, because all of us are different, how am I not living up to this? Now, let me just relieve you a little bit, okay? We're all going to fail at this. We're failing, and we're going to continue to fail at this, okay? To live this life consistently is really, really hard. And the only way it's possible, really, is when we surrender and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit who lives in His people, okay? And then it's by God's grace that we're able to do that, okay? So l l let me take the pressure off. Don't go, out, don't go out these doors going, I just need to try harder. No, 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 please, don't. Just walk with Jesus and let him give you what you need to do what it is you already want to do when you're clicking with the Lord, okay? Rest in that and let him do that. And then when it happens, don't be surprised, but give him glory for it because he's the one that did it in and through you. Okay, so let me, let's look at, what does he say after that? You are the salt of the earth, okay? So I don't know if you're ready to embrace that, but you are the salt. Hopefully, your life tastes better than that cracker, spiritually, okay? If it doesn't, here's what he has to say to you and to me. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That doesn't sound good. I don't think I want to lose my saltiness. I, I don't know. I don't know that I understand whether or not we can. I suspect that we can drift into a, a lifestyle in such a way that it practically looks like we are tasteless, that we have no impact on corruption and, and evil, that we have no impact on leading people to want to thirst for righteousness. Okay? I imagine there's seasons in my life I can look back and say, yeah, I can... I can see that in my life for sure, okay? But what's the pattern of your life? That's what you need to ask yourself the question. Is the pattern of my life to be one who is the salt of the earth, or am I more like the cracker without salt? Then he moves to this, and he changes metaphors, and he uses, moves to light. And he says, again, with emphasis, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, if you remember your reading in the book of John, 8.12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, I don't know if that was before this or after this. I don't know that it matters. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So, which is it? And I would say it's both. Okay? Because Jesus said both, and he doesn't make mistakes. And so, here's the difference, though, in the two statements. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he means, I am the source of all life and all light, okay? Because God is light, God is life, and God is love. Those are all true about him. And that's the outline of the book of 1 John, in case you want to know that. God is that. So Jesus is basically reminding us, um, there, there's no life without light, and there's no light without me. So what does he mean when he says, you are the light of the world? He's talking to those who are following him, or would follow him, and he's saying... When you know me, 
like you can know me. My spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, we call him the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, all of that, he moves into our heart. Okay, he indwells us. Okay, he pitches his tent in our heart. To guarantee he's going to finish what he started, to bring us the spiritual gifts that come with the Holy Spirit, to bring the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and to shine all of that, which is another word for glory, right? The glory of God radiates from us, or you could say reflects from Jesus off of us. I don't care. The scripture seems to use both. The point is, the source is still Jesus, even though it looks like to the person who walks by that I'm the one shining. Okay? Now you say, well, I don't know. I've never seen anybody just kind of glowing unless they're radioactive. And even then, it's kind of hard to see, and I just don't stay away to, around to see them. Okay? But Moses came off the mountain glowing. He was so close to God in the presence of God. He, his, literally, his face was so bright. He was freaking the people out, and he had to wear like what looked like a like a, a beekeeper hat or something to keep the light from freaking him out because he was just, until it faded because he'd been away from the presence of the Lord. That should tell us something, okay? The Old Testament likes to show and manifest um, things that are spiritual realities, kind of like, like metaphors, but in, I think he literally glowed. And so I think there is such a thing as we glow, okay? We kind of, another example of this might be when, um, when someone is very pregnant and we say, she's just got that glow about her, right? Okay? Um, that it might be even a, a shadow of what it would be like. Can you imagine if God's people had that glow that was that plus, but just Jesus? Some of you do. I just want you to know that. I see it, and I'm grateful for it. And it's encouraging to me because it reminds me that God's at work in us and through us. Okay? So don't, don't minimize what God can and wants to do. So as he continues in this, um, you are the light of the world, he tells, he's stating things that should be obvious to us, but when we apply to this, it's not always so. What does light do? It shines. So if his light is in me, it's shining all the time. The question is, am I covering it up or not? Am I hiding it? Am I staying in, in places where it's either already so bright that you can't see the light because I'm surrounded with all these other people all the time that have light, or I'm covering it up because I'm ashamed of the light? Okay? You guys know what that's like. I can remember back in the day when I was a young dad going to a restaurant and wrestling with praying at the table over the meal in a restaurant, in a public place. I was just really uncomfortable doing that. And then I would be like, why am I uncomfortable doing this? I should not be uncomfortable doing this. And yet, and so sometimes I would give in and not, we wouldn't pray at the table. And, and what I was I doing is I was covering up the light that God had given me. Not because I do it for show, but that's just who I am. I love my Heavenly Father. I'm going to talk to Him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for His blessing on this meal, on this server, on, on our conversation, on the rest of our day. And I, I want that to be evident and patterned in my life in such a way that my kids grow up and they just do that. That's what I, that's what I believe he wants, okay? But, but if you've ever been in that situation, you know what I'm like. That's covering up the light, okay? How do we do with our neighbors? How, do our neighbors know we're Christians? Besides the fact that we put junk in our front yard that sometimes is just weird, I'm not even going to 
start making a list because I've probably done it, right? We do everything we can to tell people we're Christians without shine. It's like we cover up the light with all the yard art. I'm just using that as bumper stickers, um, T-shirts, all mugs, all the things we do to share the word when all God wants us to do is shine. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but we can't rely on those if we're not shining, right? That's really what he wants. He wants us to be salt, and he wants us to be light. That's why he says, a town on a hill, built on a hill, cannot be hidden. Now, I imagine, because he's not far from there, they're picturing Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is this awesome city built on a mountaintop, surrounded on three sides by valleys. It's just an epic sight. And so at night, wow, you can't hide that. And he's like, it cannot, okay? And he's saying, you are the light of the world, and like a city, collectively, you all should be like Jerusalem at night. Then he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, okay? Right? We don't turn on the lamps in the den in the, at night and then cover them up with towels or blankets, okay? Besides the fact it's a fire hazard, we turn the lights on because we want to have some more light. We don't turn on flashlights and then stick them in our pocket. We turn them on to use them. That's just common sense. But he says, people don't do that. But he says, instead, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone. Now, notice what, what the venue is in the house. Where does he start shining? Where, is it, where are we supposed to start shining? At where we live. At home. And yet some of us hide our light at home. Right? This is why it's really tough. We don't relate to this because we don't know what it's like to live in a home, say in Iran, where the whole family and the whole nation is mostly just is Islamic, Muslims, and someone comes to know Christ, it's like, I can't shine here, can I? Because my dad's going to disown me if I get baptized. Like, he's going to treat me as if I'm dead. He will tell me to my face, if you get baptized as a Christian, you are dead to me. That means if I see you, I'll act as if you're not even there. It means that you're not, you're not welcome here anymore. Now, we, most of us didn't have to deal with that when we came to Christ. Most of us, we were cheered by family and friends for getting baptized. We were cheered. Okay? So we don't understand that. But that's real in a lot of our world. And in Jesus' day, it was because the Jewish leaders were hostile to Christians because they didn't understand that Jesus was actually the Messiah because he didn't look like they thought he should look. Instead, they put on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then watch where it moves. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That's everybody else. And remember, our series is, and through Matthew is all, all. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might give him all allegiance. And how are they going to know unless we go and tell them, unless we share that? And so then he ends with this. This is the, the result of letting your light shine. This is the result of being salty, okay? In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds, okay? They're going to see this, the benefits of your faith and glorify your Father in heaven. So 
glory to God and good to us. Okay? Now, some people are going to push back and reject that, and so they're not going to give glory to God. They're going to reject the source of the light. They're not rejecting you ultimately. They're rejecting their creator, and that's between them and him. Okay? And that's where persecution is hard because it feels like they're rejecting us because it's in our face. They're spitting on us. They're cuss, cussing us out. They're doing whatever they're doing to us. They're passing us over for promotions at work. They're, they're making snide remarks about us when we're not at, the, with, at lunch with everybody else at the office because we didn't make it and we heard about it. You know, those kinds of things. It doesn't matter which, where you are on the scale. Persecution is persecution. I know it's not all the same. But the point is, it happens when you shine. And we should go back to verses 11 and 12 and remember, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. For great, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. The word there is actually like super great. Challenging message, right? How do we live out this beautiful attitude life that Jesus has saved us to? How do we do it? We do it out loud. I think Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song, Living Out Loud. Sorry, I'm dating. It's back in the day. Um, but living out loud is, is a kind of a, another way of saying, in other words, I am not going to cover up the light that is shining out of me. I am not going to withhold the saltiness that is in my life. And I think another book title might help us here, the Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. That's an old book that's been out there. You can be salt of the earth and be in the shaker and never leave the shaker, right? And churches do this. They focus on all kinds of other good things, but they never salt the earth. They never send their people into the world to be, make disciples of all nations. And so we need to get out of the salt shaker and into the world, not to be, of the, to be in the world, but not of the world. And the results are lives are changed, right? Life, really, spiritual conditions are, are clarified. So where are you? How would you describe your walk with the Lord or lack thereof? Maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. We're all on a journey. I guess my question would be, are you headed towards Christ? Or are you headed away from Christ? You know what? I, I just, just, which direction are you moving? Okay? And if you're not sure, then I'm going to invite you to follow me as I follow Christ. Okay? He's calling you. And when Jesus calls us, it is a command. Your creator is calling you to trust and follow him. And you have a choice to make. Do I want to trust my creator or not? And I would just ask you the question, if you can't trust him, who can you trust? Okay? And yet most people in our world will reject him. What about you? What about you? And what about those where you live, work, and play? Are they seeing you live out loud? And let's quit being weird. Right? Let's just love them and let the word do the work and not try to make things happen. Just be who you are, lit up. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is impossible. I cannot do this. You're asking me to preach a message to do stuff I can't do. None of us can do it. It feels at times frustrating. And yet I know, Lord, that it's possible because it's been happening for 2,000 years. 
those who truly know you shine. Those who truly know you and walk with you salt the earth. And lives are changed as we show and tell the gospel where we live, work, learn, and play. Lord, help us believe that you want to do this through us. God, we have so little confidence that you would use us, and yet, Lord, you delight in, in using your people. Lord, help us to believe and realize we're never going to be good enough or strong enough or, or usable enough to do this without you. So, Lord, help us to just get to the place where we surrender our lives and let you shine, just light us up. Our world needs it. Our city needs it. Our neighborhoods, our places of employment, our school system, our playgrounds, our gyms, our coffee shops, our sports athletic fields, our dance studios, our gymnastic gymnasiums. We need, they need the light of Jesus and I pray that you would give us the faith to believe that, yes, you would actually use us to reach someone else far from us, far from you, but close to us. Help us to believe and act as if we do. In Jesus' name.